when your kid says like, Hey, I'm done with this. I know what I did wrong. You rubbing it in and continuing not to drop it. It's actually just making it worse. Then you got to trust your kid, but also open it up to them to say, Hey, like, did you want to talk about it? And if not, like you're an adult, you know how to play the game. So I'm here if you need to talk and being able to like create that healthy dialogue with your kid, I think will set them up and create a safe space for them to be like, mom, dad, whoever it is, what were you saying out there? Like, am I crazy? Could I, was that a strike? How should I have approached that? And that way you're in thought partnership instead of just putting your thoughts on them unsolicited. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. And welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle. I'm so excited to have you back for another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I have a dear friend on the podcast today. Her name is Chelsea Sweetos. If you don't know who Chelsea is, here's a little bit about her. She competed at the University of Arizona at a time where I was also playing. So pretty close in age. She played for the Philippines national team. She also straight out of college worked for Nike. She was a huge advocate for softball. So you see those like softball Nike shirts, sweatshirts that you can find at the store. She was huge on advocating for softball when she was working there. Now she's the co-founder of Players Collective and the head of athlete branding and partnerships, which she will dive into later in this episode. I got to meet Chelsea when I was working for the package deal and traveling and doing clinics. She worked a few clinics with us and I, we hit it off so well that I just knew she would be the perfect person to interview for this podcast. And here's why. So remember when I mentioned Players Collective, it's a female founded purpose-driven company on a mission to inspire change, creating a level playing field for all. So basically, they help their athletes build their brand and capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. And NIL is something that's huge going on in the college game. And I know most of your athletes are younger, but I think what can correlate NIL and branding yourself can also have a lot to do with recruiting. So in this episode, we are going to dive into that exactly. We're going to talk about how athletes can build their brand, be more authentic. She also talks about her experience playing for Mike Andrea. He's one of the best in the game to ever do it. He was the USA head coach for a reason. And she talks about her journey on playing for him and how impactful he was in her life. She also dives into her dad being her best friend in the world, but also her biggest push and motivator growing up. She talks about their relationship and I am just obsessed with their relationship. I love it so much. She also talks about how parents can help their athletes grow their own brand, which 
again, it seems like this big, bold, like side job, but in reality, she simplifies it because I think when it comes to social media, especially, uh, it's a little bit daunting. It's a daunting task because social media, it gets a bad rap a lot, but Chelsea talks about the power of it and how, you know, athletes that are playing at the USA level, playing professionally, how they're able to represent themselves on social media and do it in a way to where they are getting brand deals, which for your young athlete, if you have one, her big mission is probably to play at the highest level. So talking about what she should be putting out there. This is a subject that this podcast has yet to talk about. And I'm so excited for you guys to meet my good friend, Chelsea Sweetos. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome back, podcast listeners. So pumped. Chelsea Sweetos is in the house. Welcome to the show, girl. Thank you. I'm so pumped to be here. Yes, you were. It's funny because I think I, when I reached out originally to have you on, you were like, well, what do you want to like talk about? And I really wanted to obviously get into your player's journey, which we'll get into because you played at Arizona, played for Mike Andrea. We could talk about that for probably hours, but I really can't wait to dive into Players Collective and what you're doing as helping women become better advocates for themselves and building their brands. It's just going to be fun. I'm so pumped. I I think that's like the (laughs) second time I've already said this, but I am truly so excited to be here. Yes. I'm so excited too. So let's just dive in right away. Take us through your softball journey from when you fell in love with it to where it's led you today. Oh my gosh. I will try and make this brief and concise, but also enough info. So it's so interesting. I started playing at nine, which mm-hmm. in today's day and age is probably late for young kids getting into sport. And my parents had offered me to play softball and I go, nah, I'm good. Like I always was that tomboy growing up. So if it wasn't football, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw my sister playing it, I realized that she was having more friends than I was. And that's when my competitive drive kicked in and I go, okay, I'll just give this thing a shot, whatever it is. Can't be that tough. Right. Um, and was naturally decent at it. Of course I needed to work like everybody else. And so immediately from there, my parents go, okay, you're going to do rec ball, but then we're going to find a way to get you into, um, travel ball, whatever that looks like. And so then fast forward, I was playing with a bunch of different teams. And then as every kid comes to this decision of how serious do you want to get with the sport, you can either go and play college with it, or you can just continue to, to stay at the level you are and make peace with it for whatever it is. And so for me, I actually loved it so much. And I think I loved it because I love the camaraderie that I had with my teammates. And I'm very much a people person still that way today. And I also loved the positive rewards of just succeeding and also knowing that you could work so hard at something and it can bear great fruits of that labor. And so Mm -hmm. I fell in love with that process and I'm still very much wired that way. And so from there, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of addictive, right? (laughs) And so then from 100%. So from there, I ended up, um, I actually, I played with Ali Carta when I was younger and um, she's a year younger than me. And so I came to this point, you know, when you're getting recruited, do you want to stay down and win a national championship at, at the younger age group or go up to where you can get recruited? And so for me, I was actually pushed out of my comfort zone because the ultimate goal for me was to go on and play college. And so that's when I made that decision to move up. And that's when I was fortunate enough to become teammates with 
Kehlani Ricketts, Emily Allard, Michelle Gascoigne, Jessica Moore, a bunch of these greats throughout our college time. And we played for the Sorcerers out of Bay Area, so NorCal represent. And Mm -hmm. from there, the journey just kind of took off. And I think it was that constant love for my teammates and competition that just kept it going. So it never truly felt like work, even the recruiting Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. I love that. How old were you when you decided, I want to go play D1? Like what led that? You know, it's so interesting. I feel like everything in life, parents or athletes listening right now, you're waiting for some sort of moment to be ready. Mm -hmm. But as life teaches us, you're never exactly ready. You just kind of have to go for it. And so for me, it was, I think just realizing there's an opportunity to get your college paid for and mm-hmm. growing up in a, in a split household because my parents um, divorced when I was a freshman in high school, it was really tough. And I saw that as my way out. So again, I was motivated by being rewarded with a college scholarship because it just was a means for the next step of life for me. And I want to say I verbaled late. So a lot of my friends were verbaling, uh, you know, eighth grade, freshman year. And here I am. I I had offers, but I never really was quote unquote ready. And it wasn't until my sophomore summer going into my junior year in high school that a lot of that attention from college coaches started to pick up. And the reason mm-hmm. why I say this is because there's been a lot of controversy around how early should kids commit and almost that fear of missing out that causes parents to put pressure on their kids to make a decision but the best thing Coach Candrea ever told me was, if if I had a daughter, would I ever make her choose her life partner at the age of seventh, eighth, ninth grade? No. And that's very much the way that he viewed offering scholarships to these kids was you're still developing and you're still trying to figure out what you want to eat for breakfast that day. <laughs> How can you make a, a long-term decision? So he really encouraged taking your time. And if I was to give any advice to parents and athletes right now is you have your own timeline and what's meant to be will be. And if you truly are good enough, those fruits of those labors will be there. So Mm -hmm. if you're freaking out right now, it's either because you need to work a little bit harder and maybe you started late, but those opportunities will be there and what is supposed to be will be. Yeah. And when it's supposed to happen. That's so well said. Yeah. Exactly. How wise of Mike Kendra to say that. I know you speak so highly of him. And it's one of those like reactions where not knowing who he is, I feel like if I were to have a beer with him, I'd have a great conversation. <laughs> like, Oh, you don't even need a beer for a great conversation <laughs> with that man. But yes, he would probably yes. love a Michelob Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So why, why is he that way? Like, why does every player who I feel like leaves Arizona? I mean, we talked about it with Caitlin Lowe when she was on the podcast why is it yeah. that every player speaks so highly of him? Like, what are what are his attributes that are just so admirable? Oh, my gosh. I need to try and get through this without crying. I feel like every podcast I, I talk on, it, he's always a subject of it. Mm-hmm. And I think for him is that he sees people as people. He doesn't see them as job security. He doesn't see them as anything else except for who they are, boiled down to the core of their character. And he understands that, for any athlete to play at that level of division one softball, you have to be good, but it's the intangibles that he looks for. And I think that's, what's brought him so much success is that he looks for good people that are coachable because he's like, look, for you to play here, you already have the skills. I'm not going to teach you anything skill wise that you probably don't already know. I might cue you in a different way, 
but his ultimate goal was to to make sure that we are ready for life after sport. And so he never put, how do I say this? He never overcoached us. He never micromanaged the physical details of the game. And as an example, I remember there was this one batting practice as a lefty. I keep fouling balls to the left field side, foul, foul, foul. And I look back at him and I go, coach, what the heck am I doing wrong? I use the other choice words, but I go, what the heck am I doing wrong? And he goes, <laughs> I'm like, am I dropping my hands? Am I dipping my backside? Like, am I flying my shoulder? What's happening? He goes, just get your front foot down in time. And I was like, oh, but the whole lesson here is, is it's, he was waiting and trusting me as an elite athlete to figure it out and to feel in my body and to not be a mental head case. And then when I asked for the advice, he didn't complicate it. He gave me one cue, which sets off that chain of reaction and it's your timing. Everything else flows from there. He's like, you know that. So long-winded to say he looks at people's character and he definitely knows how athletes need to respond and how to simplify it for them so they can be their best version of themselves on and off the field. Mm, that's so cool. That's so cool. And I, I hope that coaches right now, like whatever they're doing, they're like stopping in their tracks, writing down notes, because I think the obviously your perspective of him he probably doesn't even look at himself that way. This is just how he does his thing, you know? Um, yeah, it's natural but, for him. Yeah. And I think even though he's coaching an elite athlete, I think a lot of those things can be taken to a youth athlete because I see so many coaches that are just like every swing, there's a cue or there's something to say, but no, he let you come to him and he was ready. You know, like mm -hmm. he was ready for his shining moment and he didn't have to say much. I think coaches are saying too much and just like all together. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, so the best example, and this might be controversial, but the best example I can give is that you look at a, a male athlete and a female athlete at the genetic levels, we're just different. And mm -hmm. that's okay. We're born that way for a reason. But if you look at a young boy that's in his first or second batting lesson, and you say, just hit the ball off the tee, they're still figuring out their bodies. That young kid, the little boy is going to swing as hard as he can miss, mm -hmm. miss, miss, almost like he's chopping down a tree. He doesn't care where it goes, but the second he hits it, he's like, yeah, I did that. He doesn't mm -hmm. think about all the misses, all the failures. That's how they're wired. Mm -hmm. You look at, you look at young girls and at least in my own experience, if I put a ball on the tee and I tell them to swing, they'll look at their feet, they'll look at their hands, they'll look at you, they'll look back at themselves, they'll think about it with, and then they'll swing. Whether they hit it or not, they look back at you for that reinforcement. And so the whole lesson in this is, is that a lot of us as, as women and young girls in sport, we're looking for that reinforcement, the positive reinforcement. And although that can be a good thing, at the same time, it can be a double-edged sword because that's when overcoaching comes into play. And our game is already hard enough as it is mentally that if you continue to overcoach and micromanage each one of these kids so they stop feeling how their body works, it's never going to be a good result. And mm -hmm. so what Coach Candrea was so good at was he allowed us to get in how we feel for the game on the offensive and defensive side. So I remember we were taking fungos one time and he's like, I'm putting on music. If you guys can dance, you got to have rhythm to be able to feel the ball. And I want you to feel this. He didn't have to teach us how to pick a hop. 
you know that, but he was trying to get us to feel the rhythm of the game. And that's why he's so successful too. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody who told me that, well, here's the thing. I don't know, really, really know how to dance. If you saw my first dance with my husband, it was just like, (laughs) I don't even know what it was. Um, I have to see this. But I felt like, I think our video is coming out soon from our wedding actually. So hopefully that comes out. But I, even though I don't have rhythm on a dance floor, I felt like I had the ultimate rhythm on the field. And I think that mm. comes from obviously practice, but like in the box was like my happy place. Like I knew yeah. how I was going to approach every ball. Now I did mm-hmm. lose a little bit of that when I was playing pro and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Monica Abbott. Like it's her field, not mine. And, and that was like a whole yeah. other story. But when I'm at my best, I felt in tune. I felt in rhythm. Mm-hmm. And there's, yep. there's so much value in that. I love that. Now, before we dive into Players Collective, because I can't wait to talk about athletes and growing their brand, I know you were so close with your dad. Mm-hmm. I heard you say it on another podcast or another interview, and I was just like, <laughs> we have to dive into this because, you know, your success, even though your dad would take no credit for it, I'm sure he had a very- oh, he would try. He would try. part in your journey. <laughs> I love it. Um, so what was, what was your relationship like with him? Um, and what did practice look like with him and stuff? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So my dad is my best friend. We are like two peas in a pod, but I will preface with, we are best friends, but we butt heads a lot. So Mm -hmm. it is not this perfect relationship that I think people envision where it's like, Oh, I, my dad and I, we loved working late. And although some young people, are fortunate enough to have that. My relationship with my dad was very natural. I was always a daddy's girl and him being the athlete and me being the athlete, that's where we bonded. So growing up, I, I'd be that annoying kid where he would have a tea time on a Saturday at 6am and I hear him getting ready to go out the door. And I would be at the top of the stairs as a toddler being like, where are you going? And so he would have to call his buddies and be like, Hey, I got to cancel my tea time. My kid's up. (laughs) Or there'd be times he would just take me with him to the golf course. And then we'd get like um, French fries and ranch. And like, that was the highlight for me. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm very much a quality time, love language person. And so is my dad. And so we both recognized that early on. And I think in little moments like that, my dad showed up for me. So he chose me. And it was so impressionable mm. as, as a toddler you look back at it now and it's doing those little things as a parent over time to show up for your kid in moments that you may not realize benefit them because you're not seeing them improve on the field, but it's those little quality time relationship building moments that set the foundation for us. So when I started being introduced to sport as I'm like a nine-year-old, we played everything. He never tried to force anything on me. We'd go play horse outside. We would go, you know, bike ride. We would create hockey nets at a PVC pipe and get rollerblades and use a wiffle ball as our puck and just, you know, play pickup. And I remember when I first learned how to catch a ball, that guy was throwing footballs at my chest as like an eight or nine year old as hard as he could, <laughs> teaching me how to how to have soft hands. Oh because my gosh. The, the, the point of the football is so hard, right? So he's like, you need to catch it with your hands, not your chest. And once Mm -hmm. I figured that that out, it became, hey, dad, throw me a ball that I can die for perfectly as a wide receiver. And although I played softball and specialized in that growing up, it was the quality time, 
him showing up for me, him creating that relationship with me with whatever I wanted to do, but then also taking those skills of learning how to catch and throw and translating them into another sport. So when I was being introduced in a sport, he never made it feel like I needed to do it. If I was having fun, he was there and supporting me in it. And then as I shifted into softball, of course, like many parents, he coached me, but it got to the point where I started learning more about the game than he did because he was Mm -hmm. a football, basketball, track guy, and he was dangerous enough to know how to move his body within baseball. But at around 12 years old, he kind of just shut up. And yes, I would hear him in the stands, grit his teeth or say something like when I struck out, but that was it. And I Mm -hmm. think as an athlete, it's on you to learn, like you said, Ash, to if the box is your happy place, you tune everything else out. And Mm -hmm. so I learned very quickly how to tune my dad out. And my dad, on the other end, whether I had a good or bad game, we would talk about it, but then it would be done. So when your kid says like, hey, I'm done with this. I know what I did wrong. You rubbing it in and continuing not to drop it. It's actually just making it worse. Then you got to trust your kid, but also open it up to them to say, Hey, like, did you want to talk about it? And if not, like you're an adult, you know how to play the game. So I'm here if you need to talk and being able to like create that healthy dialogue with your kid, I think will set them up and create a safe space for them to be like, mom, dad, whoever it is, what were you saying out there? Like, am I crazy? Could I, was that a strike? How should I have approached that? And that way you're in thought partnership instead of just putting your thoughts on them unsolicited. Mm, I love that. What sport did your dad play? He did football, high school, and then track and field. That's awesome. My dad played college basketball, and I feel like a lot of things he learned from that, he brought down to me too. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's great is like parents, this doesn't mean like shut up and take a back seat. It means every one of your kids is different. And their experience may not be the exact same as yours. So Mm -hmm. respect that because differences is what makes us great too. And we learn a lot from that and you can learn from your kid and it can be fun, but you also have to make it fun too. If you realize there's a point where your kid's not having fun anymore, then why are you going to pressure them to be in that situation? Very much like if you're not having fun anymore in your relationship, would you want your parents pressure you to stay in that relationship? No, the difference is, is the relationship is with the sport and not an actual person, mm-hmm. but the same rules apply. So much so. Okay. So this is perfect because I feel like some of those traits that your dad instilled in you, you are now putting into professional athletes with Players Collective. You are helping yeah. them feel like they matter and and that their brand mm-hmm. matters. And that even though like softball is not where the NBA is, where the MLB is, how can they still share their voice and have a voice in the sports world? I feel like you dive into that so much with Players Collective. Yeah. yeah. And and I love it. I mean, yeah. it just, it comes naturally when, and it, like, especially any job advice, I get asked this all the time. How do you get to where you want to be? It's there's no formula. So just like mm-hmm. there's never a moment to be quote unquote ready, never ready to you know, to do anything big in life, you just have to go for it. And same thing when it comes to finding that job or the next opportunity, you got to follow your gut and your passion. Never do anything because it sounds sexy, because it'll pay you a certain amount of money, give you some Mm -hmm. sort of cool job title. 
but follow whatever that passion is. And that's how we arrived at Players Collective, truly. Yes. Yes. I would love for you to give a breakdown on like, what is Player Players Collective? How did you guys start? Yeah. So Players Collective in simplest form is we're a boutique sports agency. And so what we pride ourselves on is being able to be there for the athlete 24-7. And one thing that differentiates us from other agencies is that we only focus on female athletes and representing female athletes. And the reason for that is, is that we're female-owned, female-founded, and the three of us, myself, Jamie Lowprice, and Leslie Feldman, we all play Division One sports. And so we understand what each athlete is going through. We can empathize with your process. And we still have connections in that space where we can truly service you for what you need. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to representing female athletes, where the opportunity lied for us was that there are agencies out there that represent women, yes. What we realize is that there's an opportunity to represent women better that may not be of that worldwide icon status as a Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, you name it. Mm -hmm. And so although our athletes within the sports that we represent are those icons to us and within their own sport, they're being overlooked by a lot of these big agencies. So what we said is, hey, We've got the skills to do it. We've got a lawyer that can look over contracts. Mm-hmm. We've got somebody that's worked at some of the top, you know, fortune, I would call them 10 companies in the world who understands how to build a brand, how to draw synergies and parallels between athlete qualities and, and brand campaigns. And then we also have somebody that's got, you know, two bachelor's degrees and a PhD who is just brilliant out of her mind and anything, everything strategy. So between those three components of our co-founders, we're like, we can figure this out and we can serve female athletes. And so that's what we're doing. It's amazing. And you work with athletes like, I think, Rachel Garcia, Monica Abbott, um, mm-hmm. who we've had on the podcast, actually. I need to shout her out. Amanda Lorenz. Love Didn't it. you just pick up Amanda? Oh, yeah. We've had, had Amanda freaking, for a while. Yeah. Okay. She's great. Oh, yeah. She just, she just had a, a huge brand deal. That That's what I was thinking of. We've but got, you guys are helping that happen. Ones. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. guys are like literally creating those connections and allowing these athletes to make money aside from just their players' contracts, which aren't quite the same as, you know, men. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I would say too, we're a team with the athletes. So it's Mm -hmm. not just us waving this magical wand and bringing opportunities to athletes. It's very much, we can't do our job without the athlete. And so Mm -hmm. it's always the athlete first and at the heart of everything that we do. So when it comes to a brand deal, there's no way we can even negotiate that without the athlete being the person they are, the player they are, the human they are. So it's a big shout out to the athletes that we work with. And we're really Mm -hmm. fortunate to have not only a really badass roster of female athletes, but also the really great people that if you were to put them all in a room, they're going to have fun with each other Mm -hmm. and respect each other. And that's the ultimate goal for us. Yeah. I think all of those values that your company creates, I mean, it's the same. I keep going back to your dad. Like, yeah. He wanted you to feel loved and have the time. And I know you shared, aside from this podcast interview, like you spent a lot of time just talking to these athletes, getting to know them, like the little oh, things yeah. <laughs> that most people don't know. And I, and I think that's really important. And that's so freaking unique. Are you loving this interview with Chelsea? 
I absolutely am, but I'm swooping in here real quick to give you one quick reminder. Did you know that just about every guest we've had on the show has an interview in video that you can watch on YouTube? I know how big YouTube is, and if you love Chelsea and you want to be able to watch our conversation, you can head over to YouTube and see the entire interview on there. Also, we are putting together some of the big clips from this episode, and you can find those on social media as well. Like when we were talking about NIL, how to navigate social media, all of this stuff, these little clips you can also find on YouTube as well to be able to refer back to whenever you need it. So you can head to my YouTube channel. It's just Ashley Burkhart Training. Go ahead and subscribe there because every Monday after each episode is put out, you'll be able to see the entire interview. All right, let's head back to this episode with Chelsea Sweetos. So right now, I find a lot of, especially high school athletes that are like trying to build their brand on social media. And mm-hmm. what I see is a little bit of like insincerity. It's it's more of just like, hey, look at me. I'm getting my swings yeah. in today. And it's like every day they're posting. And I'm like- It's transactional. That's the word right there. It's <laughs> transactional. Yeah. But I know you think your company, you guys like to think long-term. Oh, and, yeah. Always. And you know- social media wasn't like huge. Like there was Twitter when I was growing up and I was saying like stupid stuff, like um, had so much fun with my grandparents this weekend for Easter or something. And it was just like, (laughs) like it was just like me just saying, this is what I did. But I feel like it's changed so much. So if you could Mm -hmm. like help maybe that youth athlete who's kind of struggling with, okay, how do I do this in the right way? How do I build my own brand? Like what are some tips that you would, you would recommend? That's a great question. And the the number one thing right now that I can urge any athlete, any person in life, whether or not you're trying to monetize your name, image, and likeness or not, is be an authentic person. Especially if after the last two years we've had in the pandemic and everything this world has thrown at us, you have to be an authentic person. When you do that, everything else will fall into place. So when it comes to building your brand, again, you have to think long-term. So the best analogy I can put towards this is when you're starting in sport, you the ultimate goal is to get a, a collegiate sponsorship or to you know go on and play pro. That's your goal. And so when you're building your brand, your goal is to become a brand that partners want to, to invest in. And mm-hmm. so in doing so, you have to do the little things savagely well. You have Mm -hmm. to master the fundamentals. Everything that you do in building your brand is no different than you building yourself as an athlete on the field. The work just looks different. So imagine you're trying to get recruited and you're this really great player, but you're a terrible human being. And in between games, you're at the snack bar and all these college coaches are looking at you. That is an indicator of somebody that's not going to get a brand partnership deal and an indicator of somebody that's not going to get get that college scholarships because mm-hmm. you're inauthentic. And so the way that that translates into your brand is where I always start with athletes is you have to know yourself. What are your values? What are your goals? If we're building a house, that is the foundation in which your brand is built upon. You know, what are your values? What are your non-negotiables? Because again, at the end of every day, businesses that are large and small always start there. What are their non-negotiables? In working with Nike, it was always about serving athletes, doing the right thing, you know, 
being on the offense, winning as a team, those are still the foundations 50 years later. And so Mm -hmm. athletes, ask yourself, what are your values? Is it your religion? Is it your family? Is it that you want to empower women? What are those non-negotiables that you will not bend for? Because that is your key to authenticity. Mm -hmm. And then when it talks about your goals, very much like I want to get a college scholarship. I want to play at Arizona. I want to work at a Fortune 10 company. I want to get a brand partnership with Adidas. Whatever those goals are, that's for you to be like your stern. That's what's going to keep you on track. So your values are what you're not going to bend and and steer away from. They're going to keep you on track in that your goals is what's going to keep you going in that direction. Mm -hmm. From there, I then love to be able to look at these athletes and, and try and understand who are you. So I do this test where I'm asking athletes these questions, you know, like, how do you describe yourself? And a lot of times I realize we're so hard on ourselves and a lot lot of times, yeah, we're so hard, (laughs) but a lot of times we have a different perception of ourselves than others do right, wrong, or Mm -hmm. indifferent. Then I take it a step out and I'm like, Hey, how do your teammates, your best friends, your parents describe you like your closest circle of people? Sometimes you'll find crossover. Sometimes you'll find that um, an athlete might describe themselves as introverted, yet when they're with their family, their friends in a safe space, they're goofy and extroverted. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the final step is being able to take them a a little bit outside of that and say, you know, how does a coach look at you? How does your boss look at you? How might a brand look at you? And when I take all these together, what I'm trying to do is get a sense of who this person is because that's going to help them figure out how to build their brand. Mm. And after, then after that, it's like, it's on you. What is most authentic to you? What are the things that you, you love that are authentic within your life? It could be health and wellness. It could be mental health. It could be dogs. It could be your relationship with your partner. It could be travel. It could be cooking. It's these niche categories that come so authentically to you where I say, okay, your values aligning with who you are, aligning with what you care about is your brand. Now let's create content for those things. That way it's targeted. It's not transactional. And you get other people that believe in those categories as well to start subscribing and anticipating coming to you for that content. That's so good. That's so good. So what would you say to the player who has this goal of playing D1 and the only content you can see is her hitting in a cage off front toss. Like there's no variety. It's just that like, where, where should Mm -hmm. she start? I mean, I would always start and defer to the athlete because every athlete's different. So I would ask this athlete, like, is your life eat, breathe, sleep softball? Cause if it is, then that's super authentic and that's who you are. So Mm -hmm. then I would tell that person, go for it. If they're looking for something beyond that D1 scholarship, if they're looking for like, hey, yes, I love softball and I want to play D1, but I also know I have an opportunity to make money as a Division One athlete and I could take that money. I can invest it. I can save for a down payment on a house. I can help pay off like debt that my parents incurred while you know, playing my travel ball fees. If mm-hmm. that was the angle, then I would say same thing. Let's start with building your brand now. And it all starts with you being authentic of who you are. So I'd run through that same strategy I just did of, mm-hmm. you know, who are you? What's your goal, your goals? What's your values? And what are the categories you really care about? Because within hitting, she can even talk about like hitting's not just hitting. 
we can talk about pitch selection. We can talk about um, counts. We can talk about laying off the rise ball. We can talk about getting in a, in a mental funk. We can talk about anything. And those are all the subcategories of hitting. So although it could just be hitting in the cage, we can break those things down where she then becomes kind of this hitting expert that other people are looking for that content of, dang, how do I lay off the changeup or the rise ball? Mm -hmm. Or how do I hit a changeup? How do I go oppo? And so then you open the door for more people to follow you, which then goes into your ultimate goal of being able to get those partnerships. And it's authentic at the same time. Yeah. It's funny because so pro athlete, we think partnerships. I think high school athlete, we think scholarship. Like, And I think... Mm -hmm. If I were like, let's say a head coach at a random university, mm-hmm. and I know you're really good at softball, that's like a tiny part of it. I mean, it's a huge part of it. Like you need to be good. Like you were saying, Mike Andrea, he's not going to recruit people yeah. who aren't good. You need to be very good. But I also think it's so important to like have those values like you were saying. And I think there's a lot of athletes out there that don't even know what they are. Me included for a while. Like I was like, yeah. after I played, I was like, what the heck is out there. Like I, I was with my now husband for a long time, but like, even then I was like, I mean, I, maybe I put more into that. Like it it was just like hard for me to find those values. So what do you, would what would you say to somebody who's just like, I don't know what I value. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it, that, that is like the simplest, but also hardest question that's asked. And even as a young adult, it's difficult um, values. I mean, you can even just Google what are values to help Mm -hmm. get you thinking in that direction, but values can be loosely, loosely interpreted. So it could be integrity, honesty, health and wellness, you know, family. It could be pretty much anything that you place value upon that's important to you. So a lot of times, honestly, I turn to Google to help me get, you know, in a brainstorming mode when it's trying to figure out what are these values, because it can be so ambiguous to figure out what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even then it's like every year I probably do a check-in on my values now because it's like, sometimes they change. That's cool. Like when I got, when I got a dog, everything changed. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Definitely. Like my, my time that I would devote to Ashley Burkhardt training, it da- is now minimized because now I have to make sure this dog doesn't die. You know, like it's like one of those things where you have to keep something exactly. alive and it all changed. So yeah. I think they're constantly Same thing changing. for parents. Mm-hmm. Same thing for parents. Like, and I would say that too is parents, I empathize with you. And also nobody gave you a handbook to figure out how to navigate this. So the biggest thing, and this is whether you're a leader in your family household or a leader in corporate America or a coach of your team, a lot of times to be a leader, you have to be vulnerable and say, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And so as a parent, I feel like that's the, the most empowering yet disarming thing at the same time, which could work in your favor when you're talking mm-hmm. to your kids of, hey, let's do this together. You guys are a team. Let's bring this along together. I don't know how to do this and we'll figure it out. And so when it comes to trying to figure out how to build their brand, instead of saying, hey, go build your brand, just being like, hey, how can I help? Do you need help? Mm -hmm. Or when it comes to them practicing, did you want to work on anything? I'm here for you. But not forcing it for them because at the end of the day, it's on your kid. If they, Mm -hmm. and that will be them for the rest of their lives and the values may change. That's the whole point of this is that softball may be a value for them or whatever sport in high school. 
they may come to a point where they don't value it as much anymore. And we have to be okay and flexible with that. And same thing in their adult life. They may change values, values of who they want to work for, values of who they want to date, values of insert XYZ. And we have to be okay. And as a parent, your goal is to just make sure that they're a good person at the end of the day and supporting your kid and whatever they do. Mental health is such a crisis right now, especially with young kids. And it's only growing. So the more you can support them instead of force them, will set them up for success in the long term, whether or not you see it in the in the immediate. I'm so glad you mentioned the how can I help? Because I think part of building your brand is not doing it by yourself. Because I think that's yeah. the stressful part. I think parents can play such an integral role in helping their athlete thrive from a brand perspective. Because like when the kid's mm-hmm. hitting, when the kid's doing their thing out on the field, having that video of just like the clutch home run and how you felt after you hit it, like you can see that. And I think what most parents probably don't think of themselves as like helping their athlete build their brand, but in reality, it's kind of necessary nowadays. And I think there's a lot that parents can do to help th- to help their kid. So like from that perspective, how can parents or maybe just like somebody they know like help an athlete build their brand, do you think? Yes, I'm going to start with how to help not ruin your athlete's brand or your family's sure. brand. That's so good. just to break it down, NIL, name image and likeness, it pertains mm-hmm. to any and every brand. Your name. So I'm going to use Nike as an example. Your name, Nike your image, the swoosh, your likeness, just do it, sport. It could be sweatshops. You never Mm. know what that could be. It's anything that's kind of associated with you. So in what not to do parents and building your kid's brand or your family's brand, especially as you're trying to get them recruited, is when they hear their name or your name because you're associated, you never want people to think something bad. So for you as a parent, that's your actions. If you're yelling at your kid, you're carrying their bag, you're doing anything that's going to make them less attractive, you're hurting their brand, their name. Image, how are you showing up? How are you supporting your kid? Are you constant, like, what does that interaction look like? Mm -hmm. And then your your likeness could be anytime people are talking about you, your family, you want them to say positive things. Because remember, they're adopting your family into that university family for the next four to five years. So you want that to all be positive things. So parents, just make sure you're not ruining your kid's brand by the way that you're acting. Get yourself in check. Sure. When, it come, when it comes to helping build your kid's brand, again, defer to your kid. It's on them, what they want, what they need, and let them lead you and you be the supporting system there. So if they want to go hit in the cage, help them set up with like a tripod to capture their stuff. Help them see it from a different light just be there as a support system. I mean, when I try and take this lightly because I've run into so many parents trying to build their brand for their kids. So I really just want to defer to the parents to just be a support system. Yes. And whatever that looks like. That's so good. Let the athlete say what they want, right? Like you can give ideas, but like you were saying, it's like forcing your kid to go hit just so you can get some video. Like that's an authentic swings. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's their brand. So let them lead it. They're the CEO of their own brand and you're just there to support it. Can we just drop the mic right there? (laughs) That's all we need. Um, So last thing I'm going to do before we do, or last thing I'm going to ask before we start our little rapid fire is 
how can athletes not be so consumed by social media with, because they, if there's, I find myself trying to grow Ashley Burkhardt training all the time and I find mm-hmm. myself, oh, I'm on the same couch as my husband and I'm not spending any time with him. Like how can an athlete separate that work from the other things that they value? Yeah, this is a skill. And I love that question. I think, especially after the last two years, when we weren't able to be physically social with people, we Mm -hmm. turned inwards to our phones and it's become kind of addictive and habitual, if you will. So the biggest thing I would say is manage your time, set boundaries. And that's a life lesson, not just with social media, but with people, with work, with training, that way you can obtain a healthy balance. So when it comes to your phone, for me personally, the way that I like to enact this is in the morning when I wake up, that's my sacred time. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm not checking emails. I'm going to be present with wherever I'm at in that day and try and set my intentions for the day. When it comes to athletes, just remember that there's an opportunity cost. The more that you're in social media, the less you are other places because we can't be in multiple places at once. So something has to come at a cost. And are you willing to give up that cost? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it the skills that you could be learning in sport? Something has to give. And so if you're okay with that, just be aware that that's where you're headed, but you can have it all. It's just all about setting boundaries. So it could be like, hey, I'm going to give myself an hour in the morning to be able to be on social catch up. I'm going to give myself an hour in the evening to create content. Okay, great. That's also two hours, you guys. That's a lot of time. So Mm -hmm. that's time you could also spend in the cage getting better. It's time you could spend building relationships with your family because, you know, tomorrow is not promised. It's time you could be spent, you know, doing studying or something to progress other areas of your life. So just remember that it's always a balance. That's so good. I find my best work comes when my phone's not even in the same room as me. Yep. Yep. I always love putting on the do not disturbs. Yes. I have like a work mode. The only problem is when people try to call me, I'm in work mode and like it goes straight to voicemail. That's a whole nother story. Totally. But what can we look forward to with Players Collective? I love the work that you're doing. I love that you're very restrictive on how many athletes you work with so you can give them the time that they deserve. What are some things that you're looking forward to? Yeah. I And I love this question and thank you for asking it. So for Players Collective, we're still only under a year at this point and the growth has been extraordinary, something that we could not have predicted. You know, we've done well over six figures in deals in under five months. We've mm-hmm. partnered with over 40 brands, large and small. We've got the face of Adidas softball, if you will, and we're helping them rebrand as well so they can be gender inclusive and, you know, put more microphones on our sports And at this point in time, it's all about creating opportunities for athletes and opportunities go beyond just brand partnership deals. So we've brought on Natasha Watley as our international consultant because she's played overseas for multiple years in the Japan market, which you can make a pretty nice living, you know, playing professional softball. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make six figures out there if you want to. And mm-hmm. so because it is such a, um, a particular market and a market where you have to already be involved in it, Natasha's our international consultant that helps work with teams overseas in Japan to help bring opportunities, not only to our roster within Players Collective, but also to athletes that want to play, but aren't signed with us. And so that's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing. So if you're a professional athlete listening to this podcast 
and you want to go play in Japan, hit us up. You do not have to be signed <laughs> with us to be able to, for us to broker a deal with you to play overseas in Japan. And the reason why I say this is because the old way of doing business in, in Japan was there was one, maybe two people you could go through that mm-hmm. gated those opportunities. Well, now we've got a strategic partnership with over four teams over there where they come to Players Collective for the athlete scouting reports. So they'll call us up and say, hey, we need a big hitter. Or, hey, we need a pitcher. We need this. We need that. And we already have our our inventory of who the athletes are, when they're available to play, what their stats are. So if you want to be in that pool, all you have to do, you can send me a DM, you can send Players Collective a DM, send us an email, reach out to Natasha, and we're more than happy to broker that relationship for you. And what we've learned is, is we've been able to negotiate in more than if you were to go elsewhere. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've been able to do some pretty incredible things for Bubba Nichols, her first year that a lot of athletes weren't able to get their first year. And so more the reason why athletes should come to us as Players Collective to help them broker the Japan deals. There's just so much that you guys offer that I want to go back and play now just so I can have this. <laughs> you on. know what I mean? Like, I just, <laughs> I know. Let's go. Um, I turn 30 next year. Um, but it's, it's one of those it. things that I think a lot of athletes listening, some are really young that really want to play pro. I think it's so cool to see that there are ways to make some good livings. And that was not an mm-hmm. option for me growing up. Definitely. It, it was an option, but it was like one of those, like h- how and what on earth does this take? Yep. But now it's like, you guys get it. And all of you have played at the highest level. So it's just so cool to be able to see how far you guys have grown. So if people want to follow, if people want to follow you guys, I'll make sure to put all of Players Collective, all of Chelsea's information into the show notes. But You're she's got to run really fast, and I really need to ask you these final questions. <laughs> we can rap- we can go a few minutes over. It's okay. All right, rapid fire. We we still have a few minutes. Don't worry. First rapid fire question. I need to know what was your favorite softball memory from playing. Ooh, favorite softball memory from playing is beating. Sorry, Sarah Gronewagon, if you're listening. Um, uh. You have a gold me- or a, a bronze medal, though, so it's fine. Beating mm-hmm. her and her Minnesota team my senior year at home, Hillenbrand Stadium in regionals. It was best of three, and it was a do or die game. We are in the bottom of the seventh inning. She had owned me, like struck me out multiple times, Same. and it was two strikes. <laughs> Ended up getting a leadoff triple and was a, the winning run. And that was my last game at Hill and Wow. That's so memorable. Sarah was so hard to hit off of. What was so your, hard. yeah, I remember like blasting a home run once and I'm like, that's all I, that's all I was here for. That like, I struck out <laughs> the three times before that, but nobody has to know. Um, yeah, she was fine. so, so tough. So um, good. so what was your, or what is your favorite sports movie? Ooh, love mm-hmm. and basketball. Oh, that one's a good one. I just watched that one recently too. It's, so it's like one of those classic. that you can watch it a million times and never get sick of it. And good I one. love the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, what was the greatest lesson that you got from Coach Kendrea? Ooh, um, the first, well, control the controllables, your attitude, your effort, your focus. That's on and off the field. Awesome. Is there a sentence or a couple, just something short that you would say to yourself at like 12 years old that you wish you would have heard much sooner? Like what advice would you give yourself? Keep going, keep working hard. It will all work out. Just focus on having fun. 
Just focus on having fun. I love it. Before I ask you the final question, which is the fastest rapid fire we've ever done, shout out to you. That's a good thing. It's supposed to be rapid fire. My dad spent 10 minutes answering the rapid fire questions and I had to remind him this was rapid fire. No, I I thought you crushed it. Thank you. (laughs) You also have a meeting to get to. But before I ask you this final question, I just need to thank you for everything that you're doing to just promote females in sport. Like it's it's something that- Of course it's growing, but it wouldn't be where it is without you and your entire staff at Players Collective. So y'all are just crushing it. So keep it up. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's so kind. Don't they, I mean, you don't have to thank us. It takes a team and it's the industries, organizations, individuals, allies. We've actually had a bunch of men as well help us grow the sport forward, even at my time at Nike. So um, it's been a a huge collective, which is why it's called Players Collective, because it's Mm -hmm. about the collective of us coming together, multiplying factor, which is why we have the X in there for us to truly level the playing field for all. Yeah. Our sport's lucky to have you guys in it. All right. What legacy Mm -hmm. do you guys want to leave? Or what do you want to leave on the game? Look, if... If I was to not be here anymore in this world, I think what I would want people to say about me is that she did everything that she could every single day to try and progress gender equity within our sport, representation within our sport, to give a voice to athletes, to make sure that athletes felt safe, felt comfortable, felt like they mattered. And if I can do that, then I've done my job. And I would, I would say the same thing is for Players Collective. We truly care about female athletes. We see you as people, not profit. We know that if we do our jobs, you will be successful. And we can't take anything from you without knowing that, you, that you've done everything you can. And so for us, I mean, yeah, that, that's a big question. I, I just mm-hmm. want people to know that we did everything that we could and will always do that, whether you see it or not, the hours we put in just to try and help these athletes personally and professionally is the ultimate goal. And it's been a privilege that these women trust us and also the parents of these women trust us mm-hmm. as mentors and guides to make sure that they're protected um, and promoted. So. I love it. Well, you're killing it, my friend. Very, very proud of you from this end. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Let's do this again. I know we have yes. a lot more to talk about. So thank we do. you. I'd love to have you back on. You're amazing. All right. Do it. Have fun in that All meeting. Right. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you. Chelsea just incredible. I'm so excited that you got to listen to her today and learn more about her. You can find in the show notes all the ways you can follow Chelsea, Players Collective, and all the amazing things that they're doing for athletes. I want to close with a couple takeaways from today. Wasn't it amazing when she talked about her dad and how when she was a toddler at the top of the stairs before he was about to go play golf and he canceled his plans to hang out with her? I think there's a lot we can take away from that. I think every moment you have with your athlete, every moment you have with the people that you love, it's cherished. And she's learned that a lot along the way. And it's helped her mold herself to becoming an authentic person with big dreams, big goals, and a support system that would do anything and everything for her. That's a lot that we can learn from. And I know I'm not a parent yet, but that was a huge takeaway for me. And I'm gonna carry that on for a long time. 
I also loved her valuable lessons that Mike Andrea taught her. Control the controllables, put people first. I know it seems so simple, but having those at the forefront makes everything else so much easier when it comes to being a coach. And this was something that she didn't mention, but we had talked off the cuff about, but it's crazy to think that from a branding perspective, men actually have, and this is just overall in professional sports, men have their big chunk of change comes from their contracts with their teams. But because that's not really prevalent yet with females in athletics, their brand deals, females brand deals are what are actually their big chunk of change. So I think it's so incredible that Players Collective is able to help female athletes not only make some more money, which is needed, especially because their contracts aren't that large, but they're also advocating for them and they're helping them navigate these waters that not many people know about. So if you love this interview, please go follow Chelsea. You can find her stuff in the show notes and dive a little bit into this NIL stuff. You can learn a lot about players and, and what they're doing right. There's a lot of players that are, that are literally themselves on social media. And I think that's what we need to be more of. We need to be more of ourselves, our own authentic self, and talk about the things that you may think that coaches don't care that you have a dog, but you know what? I know a lot of coaches that love dogs, and I think they would love to see the human being behind the player instead of just showing your player and your stats and all the things like that. So thank you again for hanging out with me on another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Please share this with a friend. If you feel like these waters of social media and branding is like huge, go share this with your team. Like when I say your team, I mean your entire team. If you're, if you have players on your team that want to play at the highest level, this conversation is a must. So please, as soon as this is over, share this with a friend, share this with your team so that you all can have an easier time navigating these crazy waters of branding and social media. All right, friends, thanks for hanging out with me. Don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, keep smiling. And I'm going to add this one today because of Chelsea, authenticity wins. Pumped for you guys to see who's going to be on the podcast next week. See you later.